Hi, and welcome to Renton Christian Center's Recorded Ministries. We hope you'll enjoy listening to this message as Pastor Alex leads us in God's Word. It is our hope that you'll personally experience God through these teachings. Now here's Pastor Alex. Bill Talas, I've I've said it every week, but I'm not going to apologize for it. You may get tired of me saying this, but I'm going to say it two more Sundays, this week and next. I really want you to get this. Jesus said, if you want to live a life that's built to last, you've got to listen to what he says and put his words into practice. If you do, you'll be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the storms came, the winds blew, the rain fell, but strong and great was the pressure against that house, but it did not fall because it was built on the rock. But then there was a man who built his life on the sand. He was the one who heard the words of Jesus, did not do what he said or put them into practice. And so the rains came, the storms of life fell, and because his house was built on the sand, mighty was the crash of that house. That is one of the most powerful concepts because all of us are facing things in our lives that would love to just swamp us and crush us or just wear us down incrementally. Not everything is a giant tragedy. Some of the things that undermine us are just that kind of that little minor wearing and rubbing and sort of tiring us down slowly but surely, gradually. And over a year's time, we look back and go, oh my gosh, what has happened to me? So Jesus really, really meant what he said. And I was just curious You know, at the end of this passage, it says that uh, the people heard him and were amazed because he spoke as one with authority, not like their scribes and Pharisees. It's like when he shared, people go, whoa, whoa, this guy gets it. This guy knows what he's talking about. So here's my question. What, What is it that empowered Jesus to have that kind of authority. How did he even know this was true? Yes, he was God, but he he set his godness aside. I'm curious, what do you think, what was it that gave Jesus the confidence that what he just said is actually true for all people all the time? The Holy Spirit, yes. What else? Yep, he knew he was born of the Father and he knew he was heading back there, good, what else? Yeah. This is a silly analogy, but I'm a teacher, and a lot of times we have to listen to people who talk about things who have no idea what they're talking about because they've never experienced it. And I think because Jesus had experienced it, then he could say it with authority. Bingo. That's exactly what I was thinking. He tried it ever since he was born. I'm sure the minute he could begin processing the scriptures, he was processing them and putting them into practice. From the the youngest age that a kid can do that, he was doing that his entire life without failure. He put God to the test. He put his word to the test. And he had results that God manifested in his life where he said, whoa, this is so cool. Let's do that again. And so you you gain authority yourselves when you put God's word to the test and you you experience a promise, even though you're kind of dangling out there sometimes, you feel like, wow, I'm I'm trusting you, God. I have no other rescue. If you don't come through, I'm I'm pretty much done. And then when he does, nothing like it. I've been doing a little bit of of research around habit forming and patterning our lives certain ways. And there's two sides of habits. There are bad habits and there are good habits. There are, there are addictions that harm you. There are addictions that help you. And uh, so I, one of the uh, searches I went on, I, 
scientists have discovered lately because of uh, MRI technology and uh, also now the, the cameras and the, the fineness and the electrical analysis they can do on the brain, they can have photographs that actually show activity. Red means busy. Lack of red means dead. There's not much going on. This is actually not Jesus, but I was just wondering if you could, if you could get an MRI scan of Jesus' brain, what would it look like? I mean, you can just imagine the things just firing all the time, processing what God is saying. And, and it's not only that red is activity, it's usually healthy activity. Because when you look at the mind of an addicted person, the red is bright, but it's reduced in space. It, it just kills brain cells, the, the addiction does. Uh, the person on the right actually has Alzheimer's, but you know, I figured that's probably a good analogy. <laughs> you know, the mind is gone. It's just. No offense to anybody, I know some of you are struggling with that right now, but what scientists are finding out is that when, when you and I exercise a particular habit, a, a pattern of behavior over and over and over and over again, it becomes ingrained. And they can stimulate that pattern in a patient's brain by giving them certain cues, you know? Sometimes it's a smell, and then they'll, they'll have the camera on the brain, it'll light up that certain part of the emotion, or the, uh, the habit, or the, the tendency, the same way every single time, or they'll hear a word, or they will, they'll, they'll see a, a picture of something, and boom, 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 and it's predictable. They can predict exactly which part of the brain will light up and respond to the cue. And it's kind of obvious that's how all of us respond. That's how all of our habits are formed. So if you're thinking about the words of Jesus, putting his words into practice and recognizing that, well, I could develop a pattern of behavior where my habit is to trust instead of fear. My habit is to obey instead of rebel. My habit is to rest in him versus become anxious. Wouldn't that be awesome? Because if you, if you think about how you and I respond to a lot of the pressures of life, we have a habit of becoming afraid. We, we just do, it's just kind of, that's the way we roll. Or we have a, a habit of striving, and you know, when things get tough, we just take it up several notches and get really frantic and busy, instead of trusting. Some of us have a habit of becoming discouraged when bad news hits. We just, oh, not again. We have an expectation of bad news and we're ready for it because we have a pattern of behavior that sends us in a downward spiral every single time. If you stop and, and examine your life just a little bit, it doesn't take a lot to see those things, and then take the words of Jesus again and go, wow, I could change that. So the, uh, the pattern that scientists are discovering says that habits are formed by a cue, which could be, like I said, an event. It could be a certain place. It can be a person. It could be... An emotion can even trigger a response. And then the routine is, what is the activity I engage in as a result of that cue? For instance, when, when bad news comes, do I just break out the chocolate chip cookies? That's my routine, and that kind of helps me feel better. I sort of get a rush out of that, and that sort of solves it. And then number three, the reward is where we, we decide, does that routine solve the cue in a reasonable way. If it does, we remember it. If it doesn't, we try something else. Okay, so think of it this way. Let's see what I got here. If you're worried about being overly scientific and not biblical enough, this is very, very biblical. Look at what the writer of Hebrews says. 
But solid food is for the mature who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. The word senses is the Greek word perceptions. We're having our, the way you perceive the world. So the cues that come at us are perceived a certain way. And those perceptions, we can train those things. The word gymnos looks like what in English? Gymnastics. It just means you're kind of working the same muscle all the time the same way. And if we put those things into practice, because of practice, we can train our senses to discern good and evil. What's a better way to respond to my situation than I have been responding in the past? That's right down the middle of what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter seven. So think about that and imagine if you could, instead of fear, have the habit of trusting God. That's what I want to talk about this morning is, is focusing on another one of those areas where many of us tend to build our lives on sand is the area of faith, or the lack thereof. Where we have an option to either trust God or panic. Act in ways that are reasonable and measured when we receive bad news, or we're afraid, or act in ways that are completely irrational and out of control. And most of us have a habit of one or the other, or maybe a mixture of both, but we we tend to kind of do this or we do that. And I'm thinking that's so common for us to be discouraged or to be afraid or to to freak out and go out in left field, that all of us could probably use a little bit of help of developing the habit of faith. Wouldn't that be cool? A friend of mine recently uh, lost her job. It had become a career for her. She'd been in the job for nine years and uh, never imagined she would lose it. Some of you have had that experience. The rug's been pulled out from under you. I've lost jobs. I've had tragic news. I've had things taken away or surprised left turns I never experienced. But one of the things I determined early on as a Christian is I'm going to develop a habit of faith so that, and here's what I said to her. I said, I cannot wait to see what God has in store. Sure, it's scary. Sure, it's painful. Sure, it's frustrating and and even makes you angry and unfair and you've been dropped or betrayed or whatever. But the faith pattern response, shouldn't it be, God must have something better. Can you believe it? Now, we all say that because that's the right spiritual thing to say, but imagine if you actually believed it. While you're still frustrated, while you're afraid, while things are scary and confusing and you don't even know which way is up anymore, and you've got to sort of reorient your entire life now around a brand new direction. But wouldn't it be an awesome thing if you could have cemented in the center of your heart and mind, I can't wait to see what God's up to because he's good. My faith is strong in him because he's taught me to trust him. Over and over, I've been developing this habit for a long time in little ways, and he's been coming through. I know he'll come through again. So that's what I want to talk about this morning, and one of the uh, obvious things and ways to get that kind of faith is immerse yourself in the Bible. There's no easy answer. Can't say anything brand new. It's like new revelation. You know, read this special research book or analysis or something. No, the Bible is the place you get, and one of the Best verses, I think, for building our faith and actually owning it and actually walking and practicing it in real life is Romans 10, 14 through 17. The context is Paul's telling the believers in Rome, hey, you guys, 
Remember, you've been given the gospel, kind of like what was shared this morning. It's not just for you. Tell other people. If you don't tell other people, there's no way they can experience the joy and the salvation that you have. So that's what he's referring to here. And he says, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in, and how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? He goes on to say, consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. This is one of my life verses. My faith comes by hearing the message that Jesus has preached, cover to cover or bit by bit, but focusing everything that is in my mind around what's true from God's vantage point. That's how my faith grows. It's not just faith for salvation, which Paul specifically referred to. It's faith for all of life, every experience. There's a great translation in the message that goes like this. Before you trust, you have to listen. But unless Christ's word is preached, there's nothing to listen to. And one of the reasons that we have unhealthy patterns when reacting to bad news, tragedy, fear, loss, is because we've got nothing godly that we've been listening to. We've been listening to everything and everyone else. So of course, there's nothing to draw from. There's no way you can believe unless you insert the data from the Holy Spirit by the word of God. Okay, so first, first thing we wanna do is immerse ourselves in God's word. That's how faith grows. Imagine if I uh, had a duffel bag, nice big duffel bag full of mm, nice crisp $100 bills, about 10,000 of them. Okay, is that 100,000? How about 100,000, that makes a million dollars, okay? And I stick it right outside that door. And I'm so excited because I get to give it to you. And you walk in the room, and I'm just like so thrilled, I can't wait for you to get that money, but I never tell you where it is. You don't even know it's there. Why would you even go out that door? You're wandering around, and I'm getting frustrated because you're not getting the money. And I can't believe you just don't know it's there and you can't find it. Well, how dumb is that? You gotta be told. You've got to be told. We've got to be t- told. We've got to tell ourselves that God is great. God is good. God's got this. He's under control. He's in control and got everything under control. If you don't tell yourself the truth, you'll never know what's there. Amen? Amen. I uh, was a brand new Christian many, many moons ago, and the... Uh, Memory verse that I was working on back then was one of my very first. In fact, I've been a Christian for two weeks, exactly. And uh, I, I decided to memorize Matthew 7, 7 and 8. Very simple, you've, you've all heard it. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. For whoever asks will receive. Whoever seeks finds. And whoever knocks, the door will be open to them. I was like making that mind, okay. All I have to do is just keep asking, knocking, checking, looking, asking, wondering, and God is gonna open doors and give answers. So I'm just kind of really chewing on this. I've been a Christian for two weeks, and I'm, I'm like brand new, just like I'm really, really ready for something to happen. The only thing I hadn't done yet is I hadn't told my sister Jody that I was a Christian now. Jody uh, was very instrumental in praying and, and sharing, along with her husband Bill, long before I got saved. And I was nervous, really scared about telling her because once I do that, I'm committed, man. There's no going back. Like I'm telling another, no, nobody even knew. 
No Christians, no non-Christians, nobody knew, no other human except me and Jesus. So I remember I was working at a janitor, as a janitor in this office building, and I'm you know, doing carpets, doing trash, dusting, and I'm in this, actually the, the CEO's office. I got the second floor, and I had, there was a band of all the officers and stuff of the company, Global Van Lines, and uh, I remember when I was tired, I'd go sit in his chair and put my feet on his desk. And, <laughs> <laughs> and that's where I was. And it just came to my mind, I need to call Jody. So I grabbed his phone. And I'm just trembling. I'm so scared. I don't know why. I'm just so nervous. I just didn't want to do it. So I, I remembered my verse. And I, I thought, wow. It says, if I ask, I'll receive. So here's what I did. I'm holding the phone. My hand's shaking like this. And I'm holding the phone. I hadn't dialed yet. And I go, Lord, would you give me courage right now? And I literally felt this bolt. Kaboom, and I almost fell out of my chair. Literally, my, I mean, my feet almost came up in the air and head on the floor. And I thought, wow. Okay, Jody. <laughs> Guess what, Jody? I'm a Christian now. Now, here's the deal. You could go, well, there was no actual bolts like what? Electrical charge going through the air. I don't think it was. I think what it was was the Spirit of God on the inside and my decision to believe was an open door for God to say, you found it. I've answered. The door's open. Boom. And it was the realization that his promise was true. And it's kind of like a revelation met with my expectation, which met with my new patterning of thinking. You can't really explain it, but I tell you, I just about fell out of my chair and called with so much boldness and courage I couldn't wait to tell her. It's because of things like that that I've developed a pattern, a habit of trusting God. It didn't come automatically. I'm not special. I'm not gifted. It was hard work and trying it out. I've had other failures, too, I'll tell you about in a little bit. But all of those are part of learning and getting better at the habit of faith. Second thing we have to do is become familiar with the unseen. Become familiar with the unseen. I I love this simple, simple, but powerful verse. Paul says, for we live by faith, not by sight. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. We live by faith, not by sight. How many of you in the room would consider yourself, how would I word this, would consider yourself kind of like the nerd, the objective one, the, the facts, you know, practical. You're the practical one in the family. Raise your hand. Okay, you're not necessarily the all out there. You're just, you're really down to earth. Okay, you see it, you'll believe it. Most of us at some measure are very practical, very much in control. We know what we can control and the things we can't control, we're sure if we try harder, we could eventually. We don't typically walk by faith. We walk by sight. We walk with our senses. And I don't think it means just the eyes. I think it means the ears, the smell, the touch, the eyes. Everything about our sensual world is something that we think we can absorb and manage by ourselves. That's human nature. And Paul says, that's not the way to live. The way to live is by both. Use your senses to get through this world, but there's a whole world of the unseen out there that's also just as present and real. Pam and I were just having this discussion yesterday where she's reading about the, uh, the Mount of Transfiguration. Remember, Jesus brings the inner three, Peter, James, and John, up the mountain with him says, go sit over there. Jesus steps aside, and suddenly 
his, his body's transfigured into this some kind of angelic, spiritual person, and out of nowhere appear Elijah and Moses right next to him, okay? And they're all kind of in this, this sort of heavenly, glorious glow of the spirit, not physical bodies. Hold on. And Pam and I were wondering, okay, how did they get there? Moses and Elijah. And I said, you know what, what I think I don't know for sure, but it seems like they were probably there all along. It's as if the spirit realm, the kingdom of God, and the earthly realm are actually parallel universes existing side by side, but there's rarely any crossover, only on occasion. I think Jesus crossed from the earthly plane to the heavenly plane in their sight. And Moses and Elijah crossed from the heavenly plane into the earthly plane for a moment in their sight. All that to say, There's all kinds of stuff going on in the unseen world. The Old Testament is full of angels that just appeared to people. The shepherds on the hill when hearing about the announcement of Jesus' birth. The angels just like, they were there the whole time. They just, something changed and God was able to do that to make them manifest. There's an unseen world everywhere you and I go. And of course, there's a dark side to that as well, but we're not interested in that, we'll just avoid that at all costs, that's why we don't do seances and we don't talk to the dead and we don't channel and we don't do any of those things that contact the dark side, the evil side. But Paul's referring to the heavenly side. Now a lot of people still are gonna have a hard time believing, you know, I'm just, I'm just too practical, I just can't really buy that. I don't really believe in the unseen world. Maybe when I get to heaven or when I die and I can kind of get there, but I'm not sure. But I don't buy that because you believe in all kinds of unseen things already. Do you believe in love? Do you believe in guilt? Do you believe in shame? Do you believe in fairness, this kind of this rule that sort of, do you believe in gravity? You can't see any of those things, but you live by all of them and they affect you powerfully. And we're just talking about human emotions and the laws of nature. Don't you think if God is capable of giving us a sensitivity to those kind of things, because he is spirit and has called us into a spiritual world, we should also be aware of what's going on in the unseen realm as well? By faith, we have to know that when we get fired from that job, there's all kinds of stuff going on in the unseen realm that God is preparing beforehand for our next season of life. We've got to know that when our child just runs off in a direction we're very, very sad about, that when we pray, there are angels set in motion and the Spirit of God set in motion and there are contacts and relationships and conversations that child is going to have that only God could organize and ordain. We've got to believe and know that that's not, not just, oh, Lord, just please make that happen. No, it is happening. Thank you, Lord God, that you got this figured out. He, she can't go far from you ever. You're with us always. We have to live that kind of life. We are, all that meets the eye is not all there is to life. Amen? Amen. So it's just, it's just a decision. It becomes a pattern of life when you memorize scripture, meditate on that, and just say, Lord, show me every now and then what's going on behind the scenes. I don't need to be a, I don't know, sensationalist. I don't need all kinds of woo-woo experiences. I don't live for Jesus so I can have these all out-of-body experiences. 
But Lord, an occasional sign that you're at work, that something I thought was impossible suddenly happened. Kind of like the Seahawks win. I don't know how much, I don't know how much God had to do that because I don't think God's interested in winning and losing football games. He's interested in the heart and the relationships, whether you win or lose. Amen? Amen. But still, kind of like that, why, I would have never thunk it. I didn't know they could possibly do that, you know? Russell Wilson running backwards and then throwing the ball all the way across the field, just a big pop fly. There's like 10 guys waiting there, and our guy catches it. I'm thinking, how did that happen? It was awesome. I loved it. <laughs> You and I need to apply this every time we get up in the morning, uh, that Jesus is here. I had a chance, Pam and I, every year, uh, we just have a, our tradition is we don't buy each other gifts. I probably told you this already. We just take a week at the beach instead. And uh, so I got to go surfing. And uh, first morning, I was pretty intimidated because the waves this time of year are pretty big. And I was kind of, uh, and then when I get kind of scared, I get sort of sick to my stomach and I'm, put my wetsuit on and I'm kind of walking out and I'm sort of like, (laughs) and the Lord just reminded me, Alex, I love surfing too. I'm with you. Oh, okay. (laughs) I'm not scared. I mean, it changed everything. You see, you can apply this principle in everyday life if it's become a pattern of life for you. Wherever you go, whatever conversation you're in, whatever confrontation, whatever meeting with the boss or hard conversation with a friend or a spouse, He's always with us, amen? Amen. But that doesn't happen unless you make it a pattern by starting, by memorizing it, meditating on it, visualizing the the truth of God's word, not just some kind of Eastern religions experience, but that God meant what he said. Watch for him to bring it to pass. Let's see. If this is not your normal mindset, you will resort to operating by sight every time. You will, so be done with that. And finally, if you want to live a life that's built to last, choose absolute conviction about God's promises. I just learned this phrase, absolute conviction. I thought, that's so cool. I like the way the writer stated it. It's actually the newer version of the NIV. No, it's the Voice Bible. That's why it's new. I just discovered there's a Bible translation called The Voice. Did you know that? I just found this out. It's really nice. I like it. They took Hebrews 11.1 and said it this way, faith is the assurance of things you have hoped for. Okay, we're familiar with that part. And the absolute conviction that there are realities you've never seen. Now, I've been saying experience is what raises our sense of authority. It grows our faith, right? Trial and error, taking God at his word, seeing how he responds or doesn't. We learn from that and we grow in our conviction. But before you ever get, have enough time to have all those experiences to grow to that point of, of confidence, you have to start somewhere, and that starting point is a decision. You choose absolute conviction. Before you have any evidence, or perhaps you're a new Christian, and this has rarely, if ever, happened, at least enough to have confidence. Initially, conviction, faith, is a decision. You choose it. Instead of choosing your fears or your old patterns or what someone else says or or anything else or even what you see with your eyes, you choose to take God seriously. And you just kind of throw yourself on that promise knowing that if you were wrong or if he's not telling the truth or chose not to manifest the answer this time, you could be hurt. 
I don't recommend doing this lightly. In fact, I never recommend doing it lightly. But understand faith is a decision first before it's like, oh, I've done that before. This is easy. It always begins with a choice. When I asked Pam to marry me, it was, it was June of 1980. And uh, I'd been a Christian for seven years now, so I had lots of verses kind of stored up in my brain. And uh, I was so in love with her, man. Oh, I couldn't believe she existed. You've got to be, you're a real person, and you're single? My gosh. I was blown away. So I was just like so, I was so ready to just take her as my wife. We were both older, you know, nearing 30, and so we were both as ready as can be. And so I'm just all, I'm just all pumped about popping the question. I can't wait. We dated for only a few months. But, you know, when you're older and sort of when you know, you know, not everybody, I don't recommend that for everyone. Uh, some of us need long courtships, so take your time. Time is your friend. But I felt like, you know, it, it was time. I, I was pretty sure it was time. So I decided, Lord, I better pray about this. And, and I had memorized the verse, Philippians 1.6. Um, he who has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Christ Jesus. And that verse popped into my mind as I'm praying about whether to ask Pam to marry me or not. I mean, I, I remember it specifically because I told her when I asked her, will you marry me? The Lord told me in Philippians 1.6 <laughs> that he will finish the work he has begun in you. And this is the finish. We're supposed to get married. That's called manipulation, you see. <laughs> Don't recommend that. But I was, I was as confident that I was hearing the Lord as I could possibly be. You know what was weird? I went home that night and I had the worst doubt and fear that I had jump-started something God never gave me permission or invited me to do. The second day, I, I couldn't even look at Pam. I was afraid I had done something so atrociously out of God's will, I couldn't believe it. Not because of her or us, just because I didn't really hear God, and I knew it. And by the third day, I said, I can't take this anymore. If I go through with this wedding, and I don't sense God's blessing, I'm asking for nothing but trouble. It was the worst thing I'd ever done to somebody in my life, but I had to tell her, honey, I didn't really hear the Lord. I'm so sorry. Of course, she was extremely hurt, extremely angry, and I felt like the biggest heel on earth. What does that have to do with um, absolute conviction? You don't get there without trial and error. You just don't. I learned so much from that experience. So I told her, I still like you, let's be friends, but let's just kind of, let's just kind of go back to square one, sort of take this thing a little bit more slowly. We've just been moving way too fast. And, well, eventually we kind of got, she you know, didn't want to talk to me for a couple weeks, but after that, <laughs> she softened up a little bit, forgave me, and, and we just started enjoying each other and sort of just having some time, just taking it slow. Well, by the time October rolled around, we got to kind of finish spending that summer together, uh, no, it was actually August, June, July, August. Two months later, um, I really felt like it was the Lord now. It was like, okay, I, oh God, you've just taught me so much these last two months about us and about you and what you're up to and timing in our lives. And I said, oh God, but I can't make that mistake ever again, ever. So I remember sitting on this little knoll over the water in front of my apartment down in 
Brown's Point, just praying, oh God, oh God, oh God, what should I do? I think I'm supposed to ask her, but I don't know if it's right. I don't know if it's you. I don't know if it's... Do you remember the first verse? He will complete what he has begun in you, pertaining to, everything pertaining to Christ. It was kind of all about me. He's going to complete me. You make me whole. You know, it's kind of like my trophy wife. I'm a complete person. It's all about me. That's really, that's one of the things I learned over that two months. I was taking the word of God and using it selfishly. And that was one of the reasons the Lord said, this isn't going to last, buddy. You get married for that kind of reason, it ain't going to last. So I'm praying. I'm sitting on this little knoll overlooking the water. God, I need to know. I need to know. What is it? Another verse came to mind. Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Oh, now that's marriage. That's, oh my gosh, yes. I had the sense, the witness, this absolute conviction that that was God because it was no longer about me. It was about her. My commitment to you is to lay down my life so you can become everything God designed you to be. Big aha moment. I went and asked her. We set the date. We got married. It's been, it's been heaven ever since. <laughs> It does not mean that life is without trials when you obey God and trust him and things happen by faith, right? Amen. But it set a pattern in motion of choosing absolute conviction, even willing to make a gigantic mistake, not ever intending to harm anybody, not even knowing I was doing it. But that's the only way I've been able to develop a pattern of faith and also a strong conviction that I think I, I hear God a lot, not all the time, but a lot, I do. Unless you know the word, unless you meditate on his promises, unless you put them into practice, you'll never have a house built on the rock. Just, there's just no easy way out. We have to be bold and courageous and trusting in the love of our God enough to take him at his word and see what happens. And I, I'm sure some of you right now are facing things that are, are very challenging and uh, you're not sure which direction to go, but it's occurred to you that a promise that has been circulating through your mind could apply here, but the fear of failure is huge. I'm not recommending you go whole hog into it, put, you know, pedal to the metal, because you don't want to be wrong if you can help it. But some of you aren't getting any red flags at all. You're just kind of sensing, I think that might be the way to go. And the Lord's saying, you'll find out when you trust me. Absolute conviction. <coughs> Give it a shot, see what happens. I love you so much. I'll even soften and dampen the blow if you're wrong. In fact, that's the, that's the cool safety net that we have. God dampens the blow even when we're wrong. It only took Pam two weeks to forgive me, so that was awesome. <laughs> this morning, I want to pray with you again and uh, ask you to Ask the Lord to just energize you about his word and his promises. And again, I've given you a little way to just take little nuggets and go deep with one simple verse. Reading in context, reading the entire Bible cover to cover, of course, is ideal. But sometimes it's just too much territory to cover for us. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for the fact that you are a God who keeps his promises. We're so excited that there is an unseen realm, but you are at work in ways that we could never know or understand until it's all said and done. Help us, Father God, to be people who believe what you say, own it, make it a pattern of behavior, a habit, and then have the courage to put it to use and see you work. 
We want to grow in confidence by experiencing you, Lord. So help us not to be lazy. Help us not to be silly or immature. Help us to just take you seriously so that we can be the men and women you've created us, designed us to be. We, we want to go all the way to the, the entire complete look. We want to be like Jesus, Lord. So help us not to fall short or stop short or grow weary or discouraged, Lord. Holy Spirit, breathe life, breathe strength, breathe discipline, breathe joy and hope into our hearts and help us to just take one little nugget at a time and put it into practice when we look forward to the results in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, God bless you. See you next Sunday. Listening to God's teachings is always so exciting. We hope you have enjoyed this recording and that it has blessed you. Remember to share these messages with others you know and love. Until next time, may God bless and keep you. Here again is Pastor Kevin. Do you ever have thoughts about your purpose in life? Have you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior? Or maybe you walked away and it's time to come home. You know, really our walk with God is about a personal relationship with Him. That's what He wants. I believe that's what we want. I encourage you to take a few moments and allow this message to sink in. Allow His Holy Spirit to speak to your heart. You know, the Bible says that if we draw close to Him, that He will draw close to us. So do that today. God bless.